As you turn in there, I did want to just say I appreciate everybody who uh, over the last um, uh, couple weeks has um, shared words of concern and told us that they were praying for us and um, uh, brought by things and sent cards. We we appreciate the um, the concern that everybody has shown uh, in what has been uh, one of the worst uh, weeks of our lives. And so we, we appreciate everybody being there to, to support us and, and lift us up. Um, we're going to look at um, just one verse to start. If, you're, if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be here in 1 John. We'll hop around to a, a number of other verses too as um, in 1 John as we go through throughout the sermon. So keep your Bibles open there and we'll look at a, a few other passages also. The 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19 says this, We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. So we're going to start this morning a sermon series about our spiritual enemy. We're going to be talking over the next few weeks about Satan and how we combat him. And this morning we want to start with, with some um, dealing with the disinformation uh, that, that is out there about Satan because there's a lot of, of myths. Uh, we're just going to deal with four this morning. Uh, that are present where people think, okay, well, this is the way he is, or that's the way he is, and and it's important to understand the truth, and that's where we're going to begin in your sermon outline this morning, and that's with this idea. To defeat your enemy, you have to know your enemy. To defeat your enemy, you have to know your enemy. And so it's important that, as opposed to the myths that the world tells us, that we understand what the biblical truth is about Satan. And we're not going to get into everything, obviously, this morning, but we're going to touch on four of the ideas that are out there, and each of them, um, there, there's kind of a shallow level to it, and then with each of them, there's also a deeper truth underneath that we need to focus on in terms of understanding the implications of that truth for the spiritual warfare that we are in and for being able to win the battles that are in front of us. So uh, let's start digging in with these four truths, and hopefully as we come toward the end of it, uh, we'll have a better idea of who we're fighting and how to fight him. So number one is this, the first myth about Satan is this. Satan is a red guy with horns and a pitchfork. Satan is a red guy with horns and a pitchfork. So in the popular image of Satan, um, I just in fact saw a commercial watching a football game yesterday or day before. I think it was actually for a dating site. And I had... Um, uh, Satan was was on the commercial. He had these giant horns coming up, big red guy, and and that's the image that that everybody has of Satan. He's he's got a pitchfork. He's all red. He's got the little horns coming out, and that's the way Satan is. And it's it's so prevalent. Everybody presumes well, that's what the Bible teaches about Satan, and that's in fact not true. The reality is that that image comes out of the Middle Ages, and it has nothing to do with the Scripture. Now. We don't know precisely from the Scripture, just like we don't know exactly what Jesus looked like. We do know that, that he was a Middle Eastern Jew, and so he, he had olive skin as opposed to white skin like me, but we don't know exactly what he looked like. In a similar way, we don't know precisely what Satan looks like, but there's a really important clue uh, in the Scripture that helps us to understand this image of, of the red guy with uh, horns and a pitchfork is not true. In your sermon outline, I've listed some scriptures, and we're not going to flip over to them, but let me review them 
just briefly. So 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, tells us that Satan can appear as an angel of light. And so we know that he has the capacity to, to be able to, to change his forms and oftentimes changes into something that, that appears to be good or godly. Um, but that doesn't tell us for certain, even though he can appear as an angel of light, that doesn't tell us what his normal uh, form is. But there are a couple of Old Testament passages that point us in that direction. <clears throat> in Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 15, it tells us that Satan's fall had to do with his pride. And when we think of his pride, um, obviously, generally, folks who are full of pride have something to be proud of, and then they exalt that above that, uh, above what is proper. And so when we think of somebody with pride, we don't think of somebody like, for instance, who's generally going to be in the issue of beauty, going to be really ugly, and then they convince themselves that actually they're incredibly beautiful. It's more likely to be somebody with beauty who then exalts themselves above that. And that's, in fact, what we find in the third passage that I've listed in the Sermon Outline, which is Ezekiel 28, 12 through 17. Let me just read a couple of quotes. It's speaking of Satan there. It says, you were, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. In verse 14, it says, you were the anointed cherub. So we know that Satan was a, an angel. He was not just an angel. He was the angel. He was the highest among them. And it says there in that verse, in verse 12 in Ezekiel, it, it tells us there that he was perfect in beauty. Going on in uh, verse 17, it says, Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. So what it leads us to understand there is that we have a being who is not hideous the way that the image often is of the red guy with horns and a pitchfork, but rather somebody that wasn't just beautiful, but was perhaps the most beautiful of all the created beings, which engendered with him pride, not only in his beauty, but also in his wisdom, which caused him to believe that he could overcome God and, and created the rebellion within his heart that led to the rebellion in the world that led to the fall of mankind as well as the fall of the third of the angels. And so we, what we see there is that Satan is, almost certainly from what we are told there, not a hideous creature, but rather a creature of incredible beauty. And that makes sense too when you think about, not just Satan, but when you think about the nature of sin. If, if sin was, was hideous, if sin was ugly, then we would find an easy, we would find it easy to reject it and say, oh, you know, I'm obviously not going to do that because that, that has no appeal to me. But in the nature of sin, the beauty is always up front and then the hook is on the backside. No one ever, when they're contemplating an affair, thinks about their crying children as they leave the house because they're going to have to get divorced. What they think of is the, the excitement of, of that illicit entanglement. The, the beauty part, the temptation part, is up front. The hook comes later. No one thinks about when they're getting ready to gossip the, the destroyed reputation of people that they claim to care about because they spread lies about them. No, they think about the, the temptation of receiving that little bit of information that nobody else knows and they'll be the one that, that has the inside scoop, which they then share, even though it turns out that was never accurate in the first place. The, 
the beauty part is up front, the temptation that looks good is up front, and then the hook comes later. And I think it's the same thing with Satan, that there is beauty in his appearance in the same way that there is beauty and temptation in the, the enticement that we get toward us. And so we need to not only stand this, understand that Satan is beautiful in the sense of understanding his nature, but also in understanding the nature of the temptation. When we see something that is incredibly attractive, we need to stop and ask whether it is from God or whether it is from Satan, because the initial beauty doesn't mean that it's a good gift from God. As we said a moment ago, Satan can appear as an angel of light, and temptation can appear as something initially really good. We need to understand that oftentimes that initial beauty is a reflection of the beauty of Satan himself. There's an initial beauty, but there's a hook on the tail end. Second thing that we want to look at, the second myth about Satan. The first one is that Satan is a red guy with horns and a pitchfork. The second one is that Satan is in charge of hell. Satan is in charge of hell. So, again, we go to the popular image. A minute ago we said that everybody has the image of, uh, of Satan as this red guy with the, the horns and a pitchfork. And similarly, how many cartoons have we seen down through the years which has Satan on some kind of a throne and the flames are all up around him and he's telling a demon to go do this? Or... Um, or other images that make it clear, or movies or TV shows that make it clear that Satan's headquarters, Satan's place to rule from is hell, and then he goes and sends demons back and forth to the earth, and, and so he is ruling from hell, he's in charge of hell, and he rules from there, and then he goes and does his temptations on the earth. That is absolutely, biblically wrong. There's nothing about that that is accurate. Let's, talk, let's look at a few passages. Let's start with what we... Uh, read just a moment ago in 1 John 5, 19. It says that we know that we are the children of God. And, here's the important part for what we're talking about this morning, and the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We need to stop and ponder that statement for a second. He, it's not just saying that you know Satan has some influence on the earth. The entire world, and this is, the, the, the Greek word from the New Testament, cosmos, which doesn't just refer to like the, the stars and everything, but refers to the world system. And I think whenever we get back, I, I've been pondering what we're going to study we're going to get into whenever we get back uh, into some semblance of normalcy and can be back on the chapel on Wednesday night. And I've been reading some really interesting stuff about that idea of the world system that we are in. And I think we're going to dig into that on Wednesday night. And it's going to take us forever because it's a really interesting study. For this morning, though, we'll just note that there is this world system um, as we look around at the way that the world functions, and that this world is the one that Satan is in charge of. Remember, going back to the temptation of Christ, Satan offers Jesus all the kingdoms of this earth. Now, in that moment, remember, Jesus' response is not, you can't do that. You don't have the authority over all the kingdoms of this earth. But instead, Jesus' response is something else, to, to quote a Bible passage, the reason he didn't say, no, you can't do that. You don't, you, you don't have control over all the kingdoms of this world is because Satan does have control over all the kingdoms of this world because this is the place from which Satan rules. Satan is not in charge of hell. Satan rules from the earth and is in charge of the earth. Let's look at a few passages. These are in your sermon outline. You can go back and look at them later. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 13 in the letter to the church at Pergamum, it says that that city is where Satan has his throne. Now, that, that's a bigger study to, to talk about what exactly is implied there. 
for this morning, let's just note the general point that this, the throne of Satan was not in hell. The throne of Satan was in Pergamum. And so that is on the earth. Another passage that's worth noting is that in uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2, Satan is called the prince of the power of the air, which notes an earthly rule. And so as we think about that, we understand that Satan is in charge here on this earth and that, that his rule is here upon the earth. Now, when we talk about hell, will Satan be in hell? Yes, someday, and we just went over this in our long uh, series about the end times, as we talked about, there is a point at the end of all that where Satan is condemned to hell for eternity and has no chance to get out and no chance to, to lead a rebellion again. That, though, is not him ruling from hell, and that's not him in charge of hell. That is him being everlastingly punished in hell. So, will Satan be in hell? Yes, not today, but he will someday be in hell, not to rule from there, but to be punished for the evil that he has done. Now, as we think about that, and the idea that Satan rules upon the earth and not from hell, again, let's talk about the, so we want to understand that fact, but let's talk about the implication of that for a second. If we stop and think about that, that's kind of scarier, isn't it? Like, the idea of him being off somewhere where we're not right now, you know, he's in another realm, he's in hell, that's a little bit more comforting to, to think that, that he's off somewhere away from us. The thought that Satan is in charge of the systems of this world and that he is ruling from this earth, that brings it a little closer to home. And that's something that we're not as comfortable with. And so we need to understand that that is, in fact, what the Bible teaches, and it needs, it should create within us the reality that we need to kind of pay a little more attention to the spiritual warfare that we're in. Because we live in a world where Satan is active and ruling and doing his best to try to get us off track. And that this is the earth from which he rules and of which he is in charge. There's a spiritual war going on and we need to understand that and make sure that we are engaged in that spiritual war and not running after the things of this earth, which pleases Satan to no end because the things of this earth are his. And so Satan is not in charge of hell. Satan is in charge of the earth. And we need to understand that so often the things of this earth are not from God. They're from Satan when they are the things of this world. Third thing is this. Continuing on down through, let's talk about another myth, and that is the myth that Satan is everywhere. Satan is everywhere. So if you're preaching a revival as a, as a preacher in a, in a Baptist church, a guaranteed amen line every time is, now Satan never, misses, Satan never misses a church service. Amen, everybody will say. Well, that's a good amen line, but it's not true. Why is it not true? Because Satan is not omniscient or omnipresent. Let's talk about omnipresent for a second. Omnipresent means that somebody can be all places at one time. God is omnipresent. God knows what's going on here in this sanctuary. God knows what's going on in the sanctuary of the church over the hill. God knows what's going on in a church that's meeting on the other side of the world right now, as well as everything else that's happening in the entire world and the rest of the universe. God is at all places at all times because He is God. Satan is not omnipresent. Satan is confined to one place at one time. Still in 1 John, look with me at 1 John chapter 3 and verse 20. It says there, 1 John 3, 20, it says, if our hearts condemn us, 
we know that God is greater than our hearts. And, here's key, He knows everything. You see, not only is God omnipresent, meaning He is at all places at all times, He is also omniscient. He knows all things. He knows what's going on in my heart. He knows what's going on in your heart. He knows what's happening in Pakistan right now. He knows what's happening in Europe right now. He knows what's happening at the bottom of, uh, of the sea right now. He knows everything that is going on. There was a, 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 an engineer about 20 years ago now who, um, and the story is he and, and some friends were, uh, they were drinking one night and got to talking about the nature of God, the nature of the Big Bang and all that. And, and their thought was, um, well, the last known, and I don't agree with this, but this was their thought, the last known place that we know God was at was the site of the Big Bang because obviously he would have been, had to have been there for everything to explode from there. And so um, as, as the universe is expanding, when you look in the opposite direction of the expansion to where the origin of the Big Bang is, the, this engineer, he was like, well, that would be the place where God is. That would be the last known place where God was, was his argument. And so he and some friends set up this website where people could send in prayer requests and they would beam them in the direction of the origin of the universe toward the, the center where the Big Bang started, was their idea. Well, I have good news. You don't have to send your prayers to the origin of the universe because God is all places at all times. And wherever we are at, we can bow down and God hears us there and God knows that we're, what we're thinking and, and we can talk to Him at any place. Now, on the other hand, Satan is not that way. Let's look at a couple of um, uh, passages, or let's look at a couple passages about uh, God's omniscience. Jeremiah 23, Can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Hebrews 4.13, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So we understand that Satan cannot be everywhere. So what do, we, what do we do with that as we understand, like it says there in the verse we just read a moment ago, that God knows everything. One of the important things for us to understand is this. Oftentimes, in, in the way that people think of things, they pair Jesus and Satan. Because, okay, Jesus was on the side of good. He came down to, to fight that battle. And then on the other side, we have Satan, and he is the, uh, the prince of the air. He's the prince of the, the forces of evil. And so we have this battle. And so Jesus and Satan are these two equals that are fighting it out. No. No, they're not. Satan is the greatest of all the created angels. He's the greatest of all the created beings in the, in the sense of the beauty and the wisdom that we talked about a few minutes ago. But Satan is a created being. He, has, he does not have the capacity for omniscience. He does not have the capacity for omnipresence. Jesus limited himself, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Jesus limited himself when he came down to earth because he was God. He took on humanity. He trusted while he was here on earth the power of God flowing through him to enable him to do what he needed to do. He had the Holy Spirit to guide him as he was here on this earth because he humbled himself and took on the humility of human flesh. But, having been raised from the dead, and having gone back and ascended on high to be with God the Father, Jesus has resumed the reality of all that He had before that, which includes the reality that He has omnipresence and omniscience, just like God 
the Father does, and just like the Holy Spirit does. And so when we think about the battle that we are in, we sometimes will think, well, you know, Satan is here and Jesus is here and it's this equal battle. No, Satan is the greatest of the created beings in terms of his beauty and splendor, but Jesus is God. And so when we think about all that we have on our side and having God and Jesus with us on our side, we are on the winning side. We are on the more powerful side because Satan is limited in what he can do. Now, even though he can't be everywhere, does that mean that perhaps he, he has some demonic work going on in many churches? That's certainly possible. But that's not the same thing as saying that Satan is everywhere and that he can be in all church services at once. We need to give Satan the respect he deserves, but we don't need to give him more respect than he deserves. Which leads me to the fourth thing, and that's it. Satan can overwhelm us with his power. This is the fourth myth. Satan can overwhelm us with his power. Look with me here in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4. It says, You do your children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. We were just talking about this a second ago, but let's make the point explicitly with regard to the ability of Satan to come in and overwhelm us. Sometimes we feel like that as we are being tempted or as we are facing struggles, that we don't have the strength, we don't have the power to be able to overcome that. And so Satan can come in and overwhelm us with that temptation and with that sense of discouragement, and there's nothing we can do. But notice what it says there in this verse. I want to get to another important verse in 1 Corinthians 10 in just a second. But we need this reminder, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The one who is in us, Jesus Christ, is greater, not marginally greater, but infinitely greater than the one who is in the world, which is Satan. We have Christ within us, and He has given us the power through the transformation He has brought into our heart and giving us a new creation, a new heart, and in giving us the Holy Spirit to be able to go forward and live. We have the ability to overcome any temptation that Satan throws at us. I said a moment ago, we need to give Satan the due that, that, um, that is coming his way, but we don't need to give him more than he deserves. And we go to passages like, let me quote a couple, in James chapter 4 and verse 7, it says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. In 1 John 3, 8, it says, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Even though we do have temptation, we need to take it seriously, and we need to understand the draw that it has, like we were talking about earlier, the hook that is in it that can get us off track and get us in a bad direction. We need to also understand that we have been given all the resources that we have within us to be able to live a life of overcoming the sin that is all around us and overcoming the temptation that Satan puts in front of us. We never have to give in to Satan. We never have to be defeated by Satan. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. There is no asterisk at the end of that verse. It isn't, well, most of the time He'll provide a way out. Sometimes you'll be able to withstand it. But as a Christian, through the power of the Holy Spirit and what God has done in our lives and having the ability to pray to Jesus, we have the ability to overcome any temptation that comes into our lives. So we need to understand, yes, 
Satan can come and tempt. Yes, he can try to push us in the wrong direction. But we have, through the power of Jesus Christ, the ability to overcome those temptations. Mark Galley tells a story of years ago. He was, he was in a church, and there were, uh, the community had a number of, of people who were refugees from Laotia, or from Laos. And so they had these Laotian refugees in the church. And, and they were teaching them the scripture. They had no spiritual background in Christianity. And so he was teaching them a little bit. And, and when they started to, um, once they made a profession of faith, uh, Mark said, we, listen, we're going to sit down weekly. We're going to go through the book of Mark. And, and as we go through the book of Mark, we'll, we'll kind of, he was using that to kind of teach them the basics of the faith. And he said it was a really interesting discussion week in and week out because where these guys didn't have any spiritual background with Christianity, they asked really interesting questions. Well, one week in particular, they got to the story of Jesus stilling the ocean, and um, or stilling the sea, rather. And, and as Jesus stills the sea, Mark was talking to these Laotian refugees about it. He said, you know now, so Jesus stilled the, 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 the waves there and calmed down. And he made the shift that a lot of preachers make, and there's nothing wrong with this, but he made the shift over to saying, now, now we all have storms in our lives, and as we have storms in our lives, then you know Christ can come in and help us to calm the storms in our lives. And, and the refugees just didn't, didn't respond to that. They were kind of quiet for a second, and one of them spoke up and said, if, if Jesus can calm the storm, then that means he's a very powerful man, right? And Mark kind of had to laugh at himself because he realized in that moment that the refugees got the story better than he did. Because he was going over to kind of trying to spiritualize the lesson and turn it into something when the reality was, probably the lesson we need to get out of that is Jesus is a really powerful man. And so as Jesus is that powerful being, as we come to him with the temptations that we are going through and the struggles that we are going through, we come to one who is able to help us to overcome anything that Satan puts in our path so that we can live a life of victory. So I want you to look down through these four as we close this morning. Satan is not this cartoon character, but instead he's a, he's a person of great beauty, and we need to be aware of that as we are looking at temptation. Satan is not in charge of hell, he's in charge of the earth, so we need to be aware of the temptation that's all around us. Satan is not everywhere, but instead he has a limit to where he can be and what he can do, and we need to understand that God has no limit. And Satan cannot overwhelm us with his power because we have Christ working in us. And so as we close up this morning, I want to say two things. Number one, uh, for those of you that are listening that are Christians, we need to ask whether or not we are giving into the things of this world and whether or not we're giving into temptation because we've kind of lowered our standard and said, well, you know, this is the best I can do. No, it's not. You don't have to give in to Satan. You don't have to give in to temptation. Whatever that big temptation is that you keep going back to and keep going back to, you don't have to give in to it. It's a choice. You can give in to it. But God has given you the ability to overcome every temptation. And we need to live at the foot of the cross and live in victory instead of accommodating what Satan is trying to bring into our lives. Number two, for those of you that are listening that are not Christians, everything that I've talked about this morning in terms of Jesus being able to protect us and Jesus being able to strengthen us and Jesus giving us the ability to overcome, None of that is true for you. The, those are not things that are true for humanity in general. Those are all things that are true for those that have trusted in Christ. And it's not like it's some kind of an exclu exclusive club 
and we want you out and, and we're in. But instead, it's the reality that Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins and He wants everybody to receive that. But if you reject Him and say, I don't want what you're, what you're selling, I don't want what you want to bring into my life, then God respects that. And He's not going to force Himself on you. We have to reach a point where we say, you know what, I'm, I'm tired of giving in to temptation. I'm tr- tired of running after things that are temporary. I want what Jesus has for me and come before Him and ask for His forgiveness and ask for Him to transform us. He's willing at any time, but we need to recognize our need for Him and invite Him in. And so this morning, if you're listening, I encourage you, if you've never made that invitation to have Christ come into your life, that this morning you might stop right where you are and say, I want Jesus in my life. I'm tired of living for the world. I'm tired of giving in to temptation. I want Jesus. We're going to be talking more in the weeks to come, more about Satan, how we can overcome him, how we can deal with the temptations. But this morning, let's just simply remember that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Father, I'm incredibly thankful this morning that You don't leave us to fend for ourselves. But You've given us the facts about our enemy and You've given us the power to overcome our enemy. Father, we love You this morning and we ask that in each of our lives we may understand what You're offering us and we may live in the victory that You want to bring. Father, we're thankful for all that You've done. And we pray in Jesus' name. And Amen.